Chapter Six of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter Six Unmasking. Madeleine, left alone in the old chalet, remained for some time absorbed in her work, which progressed rapidly. The ivy leaves were dexterously polished, and a graceful garland laid above every tuck of the transparent white dress. The last leafy band was nearly completed when the door again creaked upon its rusty hinges, and the young girl, looking up, beheld Maurice. "'Is not Bertha here?' he asked, in a tone that sound unlike his usual cheerful voice. "'I came to seek her and felt sure she must be with you.' "'I have not seen her since early this morning,' answered Madeleine. "'She promised to bring me this basket full of ivy leaves, but sent Baptiste instead. "'I was looking for her in the library, the boudoir, the drawing-room, and the garden, "'before I came here,' Maurice continued, in the same grave tone. "'She has disappeared, just at the moment when I have made up my mind to have an understanding without further delay.' Madeleine's speaking countenance betrayed her surprise, for it seemed strange that Maurice should desire an especial interview with his cousin, whom he saw at all hours, and stranger still that he appeared to be so much disturbed. "'How serious you look, Maurice! Are you troubled? Has anything occurred to cause you unhappiness?' "'I can have no disguises from you, Madeleine. I am thoroughly sick at heart.' In the first place, my father and grandmother have violently opposed my determination to embark in an honorable and useful career of life. That threw a cloud over me almost from the hour I entered the chateau. I tried to forget my disappointment for a moment that no shadow might fall upon your birthday happiness. Besides, I clung to the hope that I might yet convince them of the propriety, the policy, the actual necessity of the step I proposed to take. My father yesterday stunned me with a piece of intelligence which renders me wretched, yet forces me to act. I have given him my promise. There is no retreat. I must bring this matter to a climax, be the sequence what may, and yet I dread to make the very first movement. I am too dull to read the riddle of the Sphinx, and your words are as enigmatical. I have not begun to find their clue, replied Madeleine, pausing in the garland she was forming and letting the ivy drop unnoticed around her. The first impulse of Maurice was to gather the fallen leaves. The second prompted him gently to force the dress she was so tastefully adorning out of her hands and toss it upon the table. I see your task is nearly completed, and Bertha's toilette for the ball will be sufficiently picturesque to cause the Marchioness de Fleury to die of envy. Can you not, therefore, rest from your labors, good fairy dressmaker, and talk a while with me? I need consolation. I need advice and you alone can give me both. I? Madeleine spoke that single word tremulously, and a faint flush passed over her soft, pale face. You, Madeleine, you and you only. 
there is bertha at last she exclaimed rising hastily and approaching the door do you not see her blue dress yonder through the trees bertha bertha and leaving maurice she went forth to meet bertha where have you hidden yourself all morning little truant why what has happened to distress you your eyes look as though you have been weeping dear bertha what ails you i could bear it no longer almost sobbed bertha laying her head upon her cousin's shoulder i could not help coming to you though i wanted to act entirely upon my own responsibility and i had determined not even to consult you for i am always fearful of getting you into trouble with my aunt madeleine was so completely mystified that she could only murmur half to herself more enigmas what can they mean then passing her arm around bertha's slender waist they walked into the summer house the position of bertha's head caused her bright ringlets completely to veil her face and it was not until after she entered the chalet and shook the blinding locks from before her eyes that she saw maurice she drew back with a movement of vexation and confusion never before invinced at his presence clung to madeleine as though for protection and seemed on the point of bursting into tears maurice came here expecting to find you with me observed madeleine he wanted to speak to you did he yes i know he did i know what he is going to say i kept out of his way on purpose until i could make up my mind about it all i mean i thought it best to postpone but it does not matter i would rather have it over no i don't mean that i mean bertha's perturbation rendered any clearer expression of her meaning out of the question madeleine took up the dress which maurice had flung upon the table and said when you return to the house bertha will you not come to my room and try on your dress it is just completed stay stay madeleine exclaimed bertha and maurice together you see we both desire you to stay added maurice therefore you cannot refuse we have no secrets from you have we bertha i had none until yesterday but my aunt is so inclined to be so severe with madeleine that i feared i might make mischief by taking her into my confidence do not go madeleine sit down for you must stay if you go i will go with you and maurice wants to speak with me i mean i want to speak with him that is to say he intends to madeleine resumed her seat since you so tyrannically insist upon my remaining i will finish this garland while you are having your mysterious explanation maurice approached bertha with a hesitation which had some slight touch of awkwardness feeling that it would be easier to induce her to break the ice than to make the first step upon this delicate ground himself he remarked you wanted to speak to me what did you desire to say my dear little cousin bertha looked up innocently into his face as though she was scanning his features for the first time what my aunt says is all very true you are exceedingly handsome i never denied it except in jest and you are decidedly agreeable 
except now and then, and you have a noble heart, I never doubted it, and a fine intellect, though I do not know much about that, and any woman might be proud of you, that is, I dare say, most women would, and I have a little cousin who is a very adroit flatterer, and who is herself beautiful enough for a hebe, and whose fascinations are sufficiently potent to captivate any reasonable or unreasonable man. Oh, but that is not the point. I did not mean that we should exchange compliments. What I wanted to say is that such an attractive and agreeable young man as you are will naturally find a host of young girls who would any of them be proud to be chosen as his wife. And you, with your grace and beauty, your lovable character, and your large fortune, will have suitors innumerable from whom you may readily select one who will be worthy of you. Uh, but that is not the point either. I told my aunt that I was not insensible to all your claims to admiration. I assure you, I did you ample justice. You are very kind and complimentary, little cousin, but I said as much to you to my father. I gave him to understand that I acknowledged you to be one of the most charming beings in the world, and I thought the man to whom you gave your hand would be the happiest of mortals, and that I did not believe that man could value more as a wife than I should as a sister." A sister, a sister. Oh, I am so glad. A sister, you do not really love me, then? Have I said that? You said the same thing? Oh, I am overjoyed. I can never thank you half as much. You do not love me, then? Asked Maurice. I love you with all my heart. I never loved you half as well as I do at this moment, that is, as a brother, for you love me as a sister, while my aunt declared that you hoped to make me your wife, that you were crazily in love with me, and that if I refused you I should ruin all your future prospects, for the blow would have almost killed you. I cannot tell you how chagrined I was at that deplorable prospect, and it's all a mistake, is it not? My father assured me that you had formed the most flattering attachment for me. Is that a mistake also? inquired Maurice, skillfully avoiding the rudeness of a direct reply to her question. Oh, I never cared a straw for you, except as the dearest cousin in the world. But why? asked Maurice, resuming his usual gay tone of raillery. Why? If I am the incomparable being you pretend to think me, why are you so particularly averse to becoming my wife? What do you say to that? I should like to have an explanatory answer, little cousin, or else you must take back all your compliments. Not one of them, replied Bertha merrily. I am so charmed with you at this moment that I feel inclined to double their number. Yet there is a reason why I should have refused you, even if you offered yourself to me. Is it because you like somebody else better? No, 
no answered bertha hastily how can you suggest such an idea but suppose you do so because that is your reason for desiring to refuse my hand i shall be obliged to think my suggestion correct unless you tell me of why you are so glad to escape becoming my wife it was because said bertha approaching her rosy mouth to his ear and speaking in a low tone because there is another woman who is far more worthy of you who would make you a better wife than i could and who who does not exactly hate you another woman hush do not speak so loudly there is nothing in the world i desire so much as to see that other woman happy for there is no one i love half so well the garland is finished madeleine broke in starting up abruptly for she had caught the whispered words come bertha we must hasten back to the chateau i must try your dress on immediately oh since it is finished we have plenty of time said bertha it is quite early in the day yet and maurice and i are deeply interested in our conversation we were never before such fast friends and devoted cousins never replied maurice but the dress may need some alteration persisted madeleine pray pray come she spoke almost imploringly and in an excited tone which the mere trying on of a dress did not warrant oh you dear despot i suppose you must be obeyed bertha snatched the ivy garland dress and bounded away madeleine would have followed but maurice seized her hand detainingly one moment madeleine grant me one moment not now bertha will be waiting for me and she made an effort to free her imprisoned hand you shall tell her that you were taken captive and she will forgive you if it only be for the sake of your jailer there's vanity for you but my arrangements for this evening are not completed it is growing late maurice i entreat you to release me i cannot remain i must go not until i have spoken to you the time has come when you must hear me madeleine felt that there was no escape and forcing herself to assume an air of composure she answered speak then what can you have to say maurice to which i ought to listen must i tell you have you not divined must i show you my heart if no responsive pulse in your own has revealed to you what is passing in mine i am truly unfortunate i have been deceived indeed maurice maurice for the love of heaven you do well to say for the love of heaven for i love heaven all the better for loving a being who bears the impress of heaven's own glorious hand yes madeleine ever loved love from the first hour we met the rustling of silk interrupted his sentence madeleine tremblingly withdrew her hand the countess de gramont stood before them her tall figure dilated until it seemed to shut out all the sunlight beyond her countenance grew ashy with suppressed rage her black eyes shot out glances that pierced like arrows not a sound issued from her tightly compressed lips maurice recovering himself 
tried to assume an unconcerned air, and stooped to gather some of the ivy leaves scattered around him. Madeleine bowed her head as a culprit who has no defense to make, and no hope of concealment to cling to as a last refuge. The countess broke the painful silence, speaking in a hollow, scornful tone. "'I am here at an unfortunate moment, it seems.' There was no reply. "'Perhaps I ought to apologize for disturbing you,' she continued sarcastically. "'Not at all, not at all,' said Maurice, who felt it was his duty to answer and shield Madeleine as far as possible from his grandmother's displeasure. "'Why, then, is Madeleine covered with confusion?' Why did she so quickly withdraw her hand? How? How came it clasped in yours? Is she not my cousin? answered Maurice evasively. Have I no right to show her affection? Must I renounce the ties of blood? It is not you, Maurice, whom I blame, said the countess, trying to speak less sternly. It is Madeleine, who should not have permitted this unmet familiarity. I know by what arts she has lured you to forget yourself. The fault lies with her. For the first time the countess beheld a flash of indignation in the eyes Madeleine lifted from the ground. Madame, aunt, she began. The countess would not permit her to perceive. I know what I say. You have too much tact and quickness not to have comprehended our hopes in regard to Maurice and Berpois, and it is not escaped by notice that you have sought, by every artful manoeuvre in your power, to frustrate those hopes. I, ejaculated Madeleine, aghast at the charge, and too much bewildered to be able to utter a denial. Yes, you. Have you not sought to fascinate Maurice by every species of wily coquetry? Have you not? Grandmother, cried Maurice furiously. Be silent, Maurice. It is Madeleine to whom I am addressing my remarks, and her own conscience tells her their justice. Aunt, if ever by word or look or thought, oh, it was all done by the most apparently artless, natural, purposeless manner, but by the same end was always kept steadily in view. What I have witnessed this morning convinces me of your aims. Your movements were so skillfully managed that they scarcely seemed open to suspicion. The most specious coquetry has governed all your actions. You were always attired more simply than anyone else, but by this very simplicity you thought to render yourself remarkable and attract a larger share of attention. You always pretended to shun observation that you might be brought into more positive notice. You affected to avoid Maurice, that he might feel tempted to follow you, that he might be lured to seek you when you were alone, as you were a moment ago that that he might maurice could restrain his ire no longer he broke forth with vehemence grandmother i cannot listen to this injustice i cannot see madeleine so cruelly insulted were it my mother herself who spoke i would not stand by and see her trample thus an innocent and defenceless heart madeleine turned to maurice beseechingly 
do not utter such words to one whom you are bound to address with reverence do not or you will render my sufferings unendurable your sufferings exclaimed the countess catching at a word that seemed to imply a reproof which galled the more because she knew it was deserved your sufferings that is a fitting expression to drop from your lips i had the right to believe that far from causing your suffering i had put an end to your suffering when i threw open my doors to admit you you misunderstood me aunt i did not intend to say you have said enough to to prove that you add ingratitude to your other sins and since you talk of sufferings i will beg you to remember that the sufferings you have brought to us you who in return for all you have received at my hands have caused my very grandson to treat me with disrespect for the first time in his life your sufferings i can well conceive that she who creates so much of affliction in the house that has sheltered her she who so treacherously pierces the hearts that have opened to yield her a place she who has played the viper warmed upon almost a mother's bosom she may well have sufferings to wail over madeleine stood speechless thunderstruck by the rude shock of these words the countess turned from her and preparing to leave the chalet bade maurice to give her his arm he silently obeyed casting a look of compassionate tenderness upon madeleine but she saw it not all her vast store of mental strength suddenly melted away for the first time in her life she was completely crushed overwhelmed hopeless and powerless for a few moments she remained standing as motionless as one petrified then with a heartbroken cry dropped into a seat and covering her face with her hands sobbed convulsively sobbed as though all the sorrows of her life were concentrated in the anguish of that moment and found vent in a deluge of tears that stormy whirlwind of passion all the clouds of the firmament of her existence which she had day after day dispelled by the internal sunshine of her patient trustful spirit culminated and broke in that wild flood hope was drowned in that heavy rain all the flowers that brightened and the sweet springing herbs that lent their balm to her weary pilgrimage were beaten down into the mire of despair there was no ark no ararat she was alone without refuge on the waste of waters her heavy sobs prevented her hearing the entrance of bertha and it was only when the arms of the young girl were fondly twined about her that she became aware of her presence madeleine dear madeleine what has happened why do you weep thus do not speak to me bertha replied madeleine in a stifled voice you cannot cannot help me there is no hope left none none my father has died to me again to-day and i am alone once more alone in a desert that has no place of shelter for me but a grave beneath its swathing sands her tears gushed forth with redoubled violence do not
not treat me so cruelly. Do not cast me off, pleaded Bertha, as her cousin tried to disengage herself from her encircling arms. If you are wretched, so am I, because you are. Only tell me the reason for this terrible sorrow. I was awaiting you in your room, but as you did not come, I felt sure my cousin Maurice had detained you. At those last words, an involuntary cry of intense suffering burst forth from Madeleine's lips. Then I saw my aunt and Maurice returning together, and Maurice appeared to be talking in an excited manner, and my aunt looked blacker than any thundercloud. Still, you did not come, and I went in search of you. Tell me why I find you thus, you who have always borne your griefs with such silent fortitude. What has my aunt said or done to you? She has ceased to love me ceased to esteem me. She even repents of the benefits she has conferred upon me. No, no, Madeleine, you are mistaken. Oh, I am not mistaken. My eyes are opened at last. The thin, waxen mask of assumed kindness has melted from her face. I am a burden to her, an encumbrance, an offense. She only desires to be rid of me. You? The fairy of good works in her household? What could she do without you? It is only excitement which makes you imagine this. I never guessed, never dreamed it before, but I have willfully deceived myself. Now all is too clear. A thousand recollections rise up to testify to the truth, a thousand suspicions which I repulsed as unworthy of me and of her return to convince me. Words and looks, coldness and injustice, slights and reproaches start up with frightful vividness and throw a hideous light upon conduct I never dared to interpret aright. What looks, what words, what actions? asked Bertha, though her heart told her with what a catalogue she could answer her own question. They could not be rehearsed in an hour or in a day, but it is not to my aunt alone that my presence is offensive. Cousin Tristan also chafes at the sight of his dependent relative. I have seen it when I took my seat at table. I have seen it when room was made for me in the carriage. I have seen it on numberless occasions, his glances, his accents, his whole demeanor have seemed to reproach me for the place I occupied, for the garments I wore, for the very bread I ate, the bread of bitter, bitter charity. And, oh, she groaned, must this be so still? Must I still accept these bounties which are begrudged me? Must I still be bowed to the dust by the weight of these charities? Alas, I must, because I have nothing of my own, because I am nothing of myself. Madeleine, one of these days. Madeleine did not heed her. Oh, my father, my father, to what torturing humiliations you have subjected me in bequeathing me nobility with poverty. Well, may you have wished that you had been born a peasant. Had I been a peasant's child, I might have lived by and rejoiced in honest labor. Had I been the daughter of a mechanic, 
I might have gained my bread by some useful trade. Had I even been the child of some poor gentleman, I might have earned a livelihood by giving lessons in music and drawing, by becoming a governess or teaching a school. But the daughter of Duc de Gramont, it is one of the curses of my noble birth that I must live upon charity, charity unwillingly doled out and thrown in my face, even when I am receiving it with meekness. But, Madeleine, if you will but listen to me, Madeleine went on bitterly, and I am young yet, young and strong, and capable of exertion, and I have dared to believe that, while one is young, some of the benefits received could be repaid by the cheerful spirit of youth, by the performance of needful offices, by hands ever ready to serve, and a heart ever open to sympathize, but, if I am an encumbrance, an annoyance while I am young, what an intolerable burden I must become when youth passes away. Then I shall either be repulsed with aversion, or sheltered with undisguised reluctance, forced to remember every moment that the hospitality I received is an alms. Oh, it is too horrible. Death would be a thousand times preferable. And you can forget how dreadful it would be for us who love you to lose you. I can forget everything except the misery of my own degraded position. I ask for nothing save that God in his mercy will free me from it. I care not how. I look despairingly on all sides and see no escape. I am bound hand and foot by the chains of my own noble birth and shut within the iron walls of circumstance i struggle vainly in my captivity no way of freedom is open to me and yet i can never again resign myself to passive endurance if you only knew how wretched you make me by talking in this strain i make you wretched as i have made all others by my presence here yes i know it i see how ungrateful how selfish misery has rendered me since I am cruel even to you, whose pure love I never doubted. Before Bertha could make a fresh attempt to console her cousin, Baptiste entered, bearing a letter. He looked dismayed when he beheld Madeleine's face of woe and Bertha's tearful countenance, but the latter checked his glance of inquiry by asking abruptly what he wanted. Still regarding Madeleine with an expression of deep concern, he replied, the valet of count d'amoureux has just left this letter for mademoiselle madeleine and desired that it should be delivered to her at once very well that will do bertha took the letter and motioned to baptiste to withdraw what can count d'amoureux have to write to you about do open the letter and tell me not now bertha leave me to myself for a while i scarcely know what i am doing or saying i entreat you to leave me Madeleine, if I were in trouble, I would not send you from me. Go if you love me, and you, you at least, do love me. If I love you, I will even leave you to prove that I do, but it is very hard. Bertha walked slowly away, taking the path that led from the chateau. In a few moments she paused, turned suddenly, and quickened her steps in the opposite direction, prompted by an impulse to seek Maurice and tell him of Madeleine's grief. Perhaps he might have the power to console her. Count Tristan had been prevented opening the letters which 
Monsieur de Bois had delivered. When the two gentlemen reached the chateau, several visitors were awaiting the Count, and their stay was protracted. The instant his guests took their leave, he hastened to the library, which his mother entered at the same moment. He listened impatiently as she briefly recounted the scene which had taken place in the summer-house. "'The time has come when we must put an end to this madness,' answered the Count, "'and I trust that I hold the means in my hand. These are the replies of Madeleine's relations.' He broke one of the seals and glanced over the contents of the letter, gnawing his under-lip as he read. "'Well, my son, what reply?' "'This letter is from Monsieur de Bonneville. He writes that his chateau is only large enough for his own family, that it would be a great inconvenience to have any addition from his home circle, that we, I suppose we, have not been inconvenienced for the last three years.' I am not astonished at such a reply from Monsieur de Bonneville. I expected nothing else. Give me Madame de Nevac's letter. She is a charming woman, whom everyone admires and respects. I know her kindness of heart. The Count handed the letter. His mother opened it and read, My dear cousin, are you not aware that a woman of any tact who has still some claims to admiration could hardly commit the absurd faux pas of establishing in her own house and having always by her side a person younger and handsomer than herself to consent to your proposition concerning madeleine would therefore be a suicidal act this is insupportable ejaculated the count it seems that we ought to be forced into continuing to bear this burden, though it may bring us to ruin. What insupportable vanity Madame de Nevac betrays! You see what her kindness of heart is worth. There is still one letter to open, remarked his mother, clinging to a faint hope. Oh, it will be a repetition of the others, you may be sure of that. He tore it open angrily, but glancing at the first lines, exclaimed, "'What do I see? Have we found one reasonable and charitable person at last?' The Count Damoreau writes, "'A thousand thanks, dear cousin, for the opportunity you afford me of being useful to that lovely and unfortunate relative of ours. I have always regarded her with admiration and affection, and always appreciated the noble generosity which prompted your kindness to the orphan.' "'The Count is a man endowed with the most excellent judgment,' remarked the Countess with complacency. Her son continued reading the letter. "'I am at this moment about to make a number of necessary repairs to my chateau, which will cause me to absent myself for some time. I shall probably spend a year or two on the continent.' "'So much the better. He will doubtless take Madeleine with him,' suggested the Countess." Count Tristan, in an altered tone, read on, "'As I shall travel entirely en garçon, of course it will be impossible for Madeleine to accompany me, but an admirable opportunity presents itself for placing her in a situation that is very suitable. My friend, Lady Vivian, of Edinburgh, who forms one of the party here, is in search of a humble companion. I have spoken to her ladyship concerning Madeleine. She made some slight demur on account of the young lady's attractive person, but finally consented to offer her this situation. 
a degraymore, hired out as a humble companion. What an indignity, ejaculated the countess. The count continued reading. I will myself write to Madeleine and apprise her of what will be done, and present the many advantages of such a position. She must not receive the letter, said the countess earnestly. She is capable of accepting this offer for the sake of wounding us. But the Count de Moreau has insulted us grossly. How has he dared to entertain such an offer for a member of our family, one in whose veins flows the same untainted blood? Why do you not speak, my son? What indignation may well deprive you of speech? I can only say that, in some manner, we must at once rid ourselves of Madeleine. I would rather see her dead than in a situation which disgraced her noble name, answered the countess violently. I quite agree with you, returned the count with a sardonic look, but, unfortunately, life and death are not in our hands. As he spoke, there was a gleam in his malignant eye, almost murderous. His foot was lifted to crush the worm in his path, and, could he have trodden it out of existence in secret, the deed would have been accomplished with exultation. His hatred for Madeleine had strengthened into a fierce passion, as his fears that Maurice loved her threatened to be confirmed. Far from sharing his mother's indignation at the proposal of Count Damoreau, he had made up his mind to force Madeleine into acceptance, if no other presented itself from freeing the chateau from her presence. End of chapter 6